remain two or three, and then you see a lot on the outside looking in, but it's been great to see. It, it's kind of a, a committed youth group, and that's why they're excelling, if that's right to say it that way. So um, all the way down to the Pac-Man suit, it's been quite an experience, and I love it. Give my man and Adam a big hand. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Is Adam right? Okay, making sure I get the name right. I, I, uh, I prayed this morning, God, let something great happen. I did not know that he would manifest that in a Pac-Man suit. And I'm uh, so thankful, though, for all God's done on a very serious note. Um, I, uh, there's that water bottle. Yeah, I left that one there. I found out if you if you leave one somewhere, you get more water. That's what's great about that. And then we'll start leaving dollar bills around. Maybe we'll get some more dollar bills. Man. Um, you can be seated. Thank you for standing. We'll, we'll, uh, if, it's, if it's okay, I just kind of, if it's all right if I step down there with a stand here, is that okay? I, um. I just feel tonight that you're all right with that, even though you've not responded as I've asked that twice. <laughs> Amen. God's good, right? I was thankful for a good, good report from home this morning. Um, of course, I was glad to be with all of you, but I was also wondering how our service went at home. And I got a video of our altar service, and I was so thankful to see some new people in the altar. God doing a great work. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what God's going to do here this evening. Um, amen. I'm excited about it. Um, I, I, the thing is, and we say this, there's no telling what God could possibly do. There's no telling. There's, a, there's anything is possible. We've, we say that. It's, it seems cliche, but it's so very possible. When I was a kid, we'd come into services like this, and, um, you know, being the PK, we were joking today. When I was sick, I never, I never missed church. I don't remember a time in my life where I missed church. Um, if I was sick, my mom and dad said, well, then you need to be in church. We're going to pray for you. And so literally, I would go to church, and I would lay on my dad's couch in his office if I had a fever so I didn't, you know, make anybody else sick. And I'd lay on the couch, and I would sit there with a bad headache and a bad fever, and, and the drums would be beating right beside me, and the organ was playing, and people would be having church. And I'm in there just thinking, oh, God, take me now. But, but I remember those times, but I remember growing up and being in church, and you never knew what could happen, and Sister Sherry, and I'm not making fun, by, don't get me wrong, I'm not making fun. So Sherry in our church was one of the ones, when she got going, she did the, you know, the helicopter, where she just started spinning, arms out, and I remember one time when that took place, but the reason why it took place is because she came to our church, and she has a hereditary condition in her ankle bones, and in her joints, where there are these masses that would that would form, and they said that there's a good chance we're going to have to um, do something about this that's going to be very, very serious, or, or you, you know, you might, you might just not be able to ever walk, and we have to do this major surgery, or whatever the case may be. I remember it being a serious deal, now my, my brother's married to her daughter, so this was a connection to my family that was, that was pretty close, and Sister Sherry was my, my, my uh, teacher when I was a kid, and the Sunday school, and all these things, and so she came and said, we need you to pray. So she pray, we prayed, and on Wednesday night, when nothing's supposed to happen on a Wednesday night, right? It's supposed to be one of those things we just check off the box and say we went, and like at times, I know you're thinking it, no one wants to admit it, 
but some of you may be thinking it. Maybe, I don't know. But um, on a Wednesday night, she stood up and said, Pastor, I need to testify. And, 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 and my dad, of course, was excited to let her testify because he knew, but no one else knew. She said, I walked into the doctor's office after we had the x-rays. He said, so Sher- he said Sherry uh, Kazar, we have, uh, we have these 21 x-rays. They had all these x-rays from di- different angles showing these masses. And we saw pictures of these masses in her ankle bones and all these things that would disrupt her life. He said, but when you came back, we have all these other x-rays. And he had over 60 x-rays, and there was not one mass in her legs whatsoever. With that, of course, she took off and went the place to run. But I'm telling you this, there's no telling what can take place. Especially tonight, I know that you've been giving yourself fully. I looked at the schedule, I know some were here at 4.30 practicing. Um, some were here early this morning. You've been here, uh, pre- you know, preparing all the way through and getting all these, all these things ready. Let me just say that I believe God can still do something great here tonight. Are you with me on that? Amen. Let's look at John chapter 5, 5 through 9. And it, again, you can stand if it's your custom to stand for the reading, um, if you also, whichever the case may be. It's, it's hard to know sometimes because um, people do different things. So that awkward moment just was not any less awkward when I made it noticeable. <laughs> oh, man. There's always the Pac-Man suit. I'm just kidding, Adam. I like him a lot, um, and I like his suit even more. John 5 and 5 through 9. John 5, 5 through 9. Let's look at this scripture together. Now, let me just say this. I mentioned this to the students. I love reading the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is an understanding that is beyond uh, just the good man of Christ, but it's the God man of Christ. And so when it's recorded, it's recorded through a perspective of something that's, that's quite amazing and what you and I see and what others obviously saw but it's recorded in such a sense and written in such a sense that, that this is God manifest in the flesh. And it's right there up front in our face in the very, very beginning. But John 5, 5 through 9, the Bible says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when, there, when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. I want to speak to you this evening on just this simple, simple, simple topic of rise, take up your bed and walk. Rise, take up your bed and walk. I'm going to ask you one more time to pray with me and ask God to help us. Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful, Lord, for your presence that's here We thank you, God, for all you've done. We thank you for what you're still yet going to do, God. And we praise you, Lord, for even beyond tonight in the next coming days and weeks and months, Lord. We thank you for these great young people and God, how you've done a work in their lives and all that's been invested in them, Lord, by all this great church, Lord. We thank you for the lives that will be changed, God, here and abroad, God. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise, Lord. We we, we know great things are in store, and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. I do want to say real fast, once again, thank you for letting me come. I don't take this lightly. I do not overlook the fact this is a great honor and privilege to be able to come. All the great speakers that are, that are far better and more qualified, and you pick this guy that's getting old and, and um, just down from the redneck lands as he painted the picture so eloquently. Uh, 
you put up with me here. Um, thank you. Thank you so very much, the Bufords. I, I think the world of them, and, um, and I've enjoyed getting to be around, around him especially um, the last few days. And, and there is, we, we do enjoy a lot of the same things, even though he positioned himself uh, to catch fish and positioned me not to catch fish the other day. Um, just joking. But I do want to make a mention about, about the lows, and their name is fitting. They're the lows and not the highs as far as their own minds. They humble themselves, and it's amazing. But I, I once, um, we were with, with someone in our church that has a hard time communicating with people at times, and, and I had to kind of let them know that we, we got to do a little better. And they said, man, I just don't mesh well. And I said, the problem is you don't care much. But when you care, you always find a way to mesh. When you care, you always find a way to communicate. There's no, there's no such thing as I, I, I just don't relate to that person. No, you relate because you were made to relate to them. And it's amazing, um, it's amazing to me to see them with these young people. And the reason why they're so good with them is because they care so much. They care so much. And so they're blessed. So we're thankful for that. But in this text, we find a, a story that will live forever. It, it, it'll live forever because it's genuinely human and refreshingly hopeful, and, and you and I love to have the ability to hope. Now, the scene is one of the porches at the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, and it's a Sabbath day, and, and the city is filled with worshipers that have come up to feast, and, and many are now passing through these porches on their way to the temple. In the midst of them is a group of sick, blind, lame, hopeless people, but the worshipers are too eager to even notice them. They're on their way to worship. But they don't stop. They don't even notice anymore. They're just part of the backdrop. They're just there. They became part of the scenery as they fulfilled their religious obligations week in and week out. The people were just there. But in there, in this group, it was one who was extremely different. He looked for those who had fallen. He looked for those who were weak. He looked for those who were broken. And he goes into the midst of that unfortunate group and he speaks um, uh, he speaks to one who, who uh, the world had no hope for, so to speak. The world was offering nothing to them anymore. They were, they were just there. They were a fixture of, of hopelessness, and they, they had given up on life. This man had resided at this spot for half a lifetime. 38 years is long for someone who was working, raising a family, enjoying life, doing all these things, but someone who has just sat and hoped and spent nothing of any other day except for being there. That's a different story. That's a long time. Here, this man had no friend, even less hope. Jesus comes to him. Of all the people, Jesus goes to him. And now, there was a time probably when he was walking. There was a time when maybe he was moving about. And, and just like anyone else, he had a bit of a life. But reality has settled in, and his life is just what it is. Friends were probably concerned at first. People probably stopped by at first. People probably tried to give him hope to hope for a while. But they, they would check in on him and they, they, they would send flowers, if you will, stop by. But, but after a while, everything ran out and they were by themselves. They had kind of nestled into the fact, this is my life. And this is what life will be. And they'd come to grips with the fact that I've got nothing to live for any longer. This is it. This is all it is. This is what it's going to be. This is everything. So his friendships were no more. And this poor, broken soul was all alone. And on this day, he finds himself with a brand new experience. He looks into the eyes of the Messiah, but probably he was unaware. He did not know 
who he was looking at. He might have had this idea, but, but he, he possibly even had heard of him, but didn't know maybe on this day. Nonetheless, Jesus asked him a strange question. Would you like to get well? What could Jesus mean by this? What, why would he ask a question Jesus is facing in this moment. In this moment, he's facing this man with the fact of his sickness. He is meeting him on his own ground. He is meeting him where he is dealing with pains and struggles. Jesus is declaring that I know your situation and I know your condition. And when he asks if he wants to get well, Jesus is telling him that I know you are sick. I know you are not well. You haven't just laid here for all these years for no reason at all. And there is something wrong and I'm aware of it. Let me just help you understand again. It's kind of been the theme, the theme of the week. But he knows and he cares. He's aware and he cares. He sees your struggles and he cares. And so not only does Jesus imply the reality of his sickness, he also speaks of the possibility of his cure because if Jesus asks if you want to get well, there's a reason why he's asking. There is hope in the question. There is hope in the moment that Jesus says, would you like to get well? There's expectation of a better tomorrow. Jesus would not have been so cruel to speak of this or to imply this and not be able to follow through on the possibility of this. And so, so you and I must see something very clearly right now. That again, when Jesus is there, there's always hope. Always hope. Jesus was telling him there's something for you. Do you, do you want it? Do you, do you desire it? Are, are, are you, are you um, in, uh, would you like to have this? And so the, since the question implies so much possibility for this man, it also implies no less today. Jesus is always seeing possibilities in us when no one else sees these possibilities. It's like the man James that, that uh, we started picking up right off the bat when we got to uh, Northwest Arkansas. We were in that terrible building again that the African missionary said was so bad that they felt bad for. Um, we had a raccoon in the ceiling when you'd go in the bathroom flip the switch the fan would come on and the raccoon would scratch at the ceiling it was not good for anybody for the first month that we were in our building however we had no running water so we literally would take one elderly lady we had and when she needed to go to the restroom she would go tell one person and we would drive her to the shell station and she would say okay and she would drive her back that's how you start a church the wrong way it's all we had. It's all we had. But somehow, that lady got baptized in Jesus' name. That, that Somehow, God got a hold of her life. Somehow, I watched her in, in my, with my own eyes begin to speak in tongues on a, on a Sunday morning when nothing was going good and God broke through in her life. And somehow, these things began to happen. But, but we got, a, we got a, um, a call about this guy that was so messed up on drugs. And someone said, would you like to help him? And I said, yeah, I would love to. And so we picked him up. So for two and a half months, I picked him up every uh, service. And then he, he kind of got maneuvered to where he could get a job after he was so messed up on drugs. And we'd literally go pick him up, and he would talk 90 to nothing because he was so high still and so affected by these drugs. And, and so I'd kind of keep my eye on a little, my, my wife, and it was one of those things where I just said, God, I trust you. But the first service he was there, he raised his hands, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost the first service. So I, I, but, the, but the way it happened, I thought there's something more to this. And I didn't want to ask any questions yet. And so I'd pick him up, and I'd I'd take him back home and, and we'd go feed him after church. And, and then he got a job. So literally every 
day, every day, on a Saturday, I was picking him up, taking him to work, leaving a little early, dropping him off. Then I'd go work my job, and then I'd have to go pick him up and take him back. And we got him in this shelter, began to get him in a place where he could kind of resurrect his life. And at this point, we had about 15, 16 people in our church, and James was one of the men that I was dealing with the most. There was a time when he wouldn't answer. I, I Actually, because I had to pick him up so often, I, I, could, I could add a line for $10. So I added a line because I'd have to wait on him. And I have to wonder if he's there. So I finally got him his cell phone and, 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 and gave him a line and, and so I could get a hold of him and call him and talk to him. And it, it seemed like a lot of craziness, but it was a soul. And we didn't have a lot of souls. And so we did what we had to do. And so we would love him and just work with him and, and all these things. But one day I texted him and no response. And I sat there um, at the shelter that Sunday morning and no response, no response, no response. And finally I looked at my wife and said, we got to go to church. So we drove 25 minutes south after driving 20 minutes north to where he was to pick him up. And no response. And so I didn't get a response for four and a half months. No response. And finally one night I got a text and said, I'm sorry, I'm coming home. And, and so I waited. No response after that. After I tried to call him, no response. So two months later, finally my wife and I were at home. It was 3.42 in the morning and I get a phone call and it says James across the, 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 the caller ID. And I answered and I said, what, what's going on? He said, he said, they got me. And he started talking real fast and I knew right away he had relapsed. He had messed up. He had fallen into sin again. And one night he had gone with, connected with the wrong group of people. And they took him to this deal, and he got messed up on drugs again, ended up uh, north and never came back home. And when he finally came home, the cops went over, took his car that I'd helped him buy, and took everything, and they left him. After they took him to jail, they said, you're out, and left him to go walk around the streets of northwest Arkansas by himself. So I got in the car, and I'll hurry along here, but I got in the car. I drove to pick him up, and he looked terrible. We had done so much work on James, but he looked terrible. His stomach was swollen from the drugs and from the weird diet he had been on. His eyes were sunk in his head. He looked so messy, and he stunk so bad and I got him in the car and I'm in my wife's van we were rocking the minivan at the time making it cool again by the way but we got him in the van that's right all the yes minivan represent and so so I got him in the car and I decided there's one or two things that can take place I can be all sweet and kind he can do this again or I can be real and sometimes you just got to be real with people and I got in the car I didn't say a word he knew I was not happy there's other words for that. I was not happy at all. It was 3.42 in the morning. My wife was unhappy about me having to get up, and I had to get up and go to work at 6 in the morning, and I was given everything I had. I'd already given him everything I had. I'd invested so much in him, and he just kind of squandered it. And so after he was talking, I didn't say a word. Finally, he said, are you going to talk to me? And I parked the van, and I said, listen to me right now. If you're not going to be serious about this thing, then I'm not going to do this anymore. If you're not serious about this thing, then get out of the van right now. What, you didn't, what I didn't tell you yet is that after about three months of picking him up, he told me one thing that kind of made me ask a question. He said, he said something about when I was in church, and I said, in church? And he said, yeah, and I said, where were you in church? He said, Panama City, and I said, what kind of church? And he said, I went to Brother Crabtree's church, and then he, 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 he encouraged me to go to, to ABI, and he went to ABI, and he was one of the best preachers, and he married into Pentecostal royalty, so, so to speak, before he messed up and, and wrecked his life. This guy was a guy that was in Springdale, Arkansas, messed up on meth and cocaine, and he was a guy that was a licensed minister at one point in our organization, went to ABI, and I I happened to go to a place called Decisions Point, Decision Point and pick him up every day. God did this amazing thing. I thought, what in the world's taking place? 
But I looked at Jamie and said, if you don't want anything to do with this, if, you don't, if you're tired, if you, if you don't want this anymore, but i got to know you're serious about this. I've got to know you're at this point where you're ready to make a change. And I remember the moment he finally broke and James began to weep. And I looked over and I, I grabbed his dirty hand and I said, James, we're going to make it through this together. And I took him to a hotel and out of our pocket we got him a room. And I asked the guy at the front desk there, it was 5 in the morning at the time. I said, if he leaves, you call me. If he walks out of that room, you call me. And the guy would call me literally every few hours and say, he's not left yet. James slept in that room for, seriously, 24 hours. And then the next day came around, he slept again. 48 hours solid, he slept in that room and recovered. And we started the process all over again. To this day, James is the number one guy in our church. He's one of our number one supporters. He owns his own painting company. He's married and has two kids that he's brought into his life. He is faithful. He gives everything he has. When I ask him for something, he does it. I'm telling you this, there is always hope. There's always hope for somebody. There's always hope for a broken person. There's always hope. There's always hope. If I ask anything, James is there. And so, so Jesus asks this question because he believes that fluctuating Simon may become a rock someday. He believes that narrow-minded John may become a prophet of love. He believes that down and out, doubting Thomas may become spiritually radiant. He also believes that the Jameses who are strung out on drugs might come and be faithful to the house of the Lord. He also believes that the young person that seems to be in and out might someday step up and say, I know God is able and I know God can and I know God is able to do all things all things I believe it so he believes this he asks these questions the question is also asking that, that he put himself in the hands of Jesus the doctor's come and they say, hey, I'm, I need you to do this thing. I need you to, I need you to understand we're going to do this treatment. And oftentimes we say, okay, what do you want me to do? But it's different when it comes to God at times. We don't respond the same way as we respond to our doctor. We, we trust our doctor at times, but we struggle with these things. And Jesus says to this man, you're sick, but there's a chance for you to get better. But do you, you have to trust me and give yourself in wholehearted obedience. And finally, the question implies that if this man is going to receive that, that what Jesus is eager to give, he must be willing to receive it. Amen? Let me just help you understand something real fast. Our Lord will not and cannot give what we are unwilling to receive. It's not going to happen. I have to be willing to say, I want it. I, I need it. I, I, I am asking you for this, God. And so this man is now in front of him. He has in front of him this, this great opportunity that he wasn't expecting. The opportunity of a lifetime, but he must be willing to receive it. So let's look at these responses here, and I'm going to hurry through this, but, but not too quick here. I, let's look at the responses he gives to Jesus. After Jesus speaks of such hope, this man says this, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Let me just help you understand real fast. This is the mentality of our society. I have no one that's willing to help me. No one helped me, so I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to have it. No, no one, no one said hi to me. No one said a word to me. And so that the, the only, the, the best thing about this story is this guy didn't have Facebook to go post about it. No, they didn't help me again, so I ain't getting my healing. No one shook my hand when I walked in there, so I, had, I didn't get a blessing from that place. 
no, I didn't get it. And so he, he, he quickly blames everybody else when the water is troubled. Now, they, they would wait for this moment where the trouble, the water would begin to trouble. You know the story of this, this pool, but the water would trouble. And so the first one in would receive this healing. They, they believed this, this great, great experience was going to take place, and they saw it. And let me just say this real fast. If I'm in his condition, I'm camping out by the water. I'm, I'm staying right there. That's where I live. I live by the water because the moment it starts, the moment it starts, kind of beginning to trouble a little bit, I'm just going to simply roll right into that thing and run out and go tell the world, "Hey, it happened. It's all good." No, he's got his he's got his place of comfort over here, but yet he's willing to look at everybody with his side eye and say, "No one helped me. No one's doing anything for me." In his response, we find this man understanding. He accepts what Jesus is saying about him being sick, but that is the extent of his thought. Um, uh, on the whole matter. That's, that, that's the end of the thought process. He does not respond with any expectation. He responds with nothing of saying, can it happen tonight? Can it happen today? Are you here for this now? It's almost as if this man is saying, I am what I am. It is what it is. Things are what they are, but it's not my fault. I've got nothing else to say about this. So, so this is a statement that is all too familiar. I don't have the ability on my own, and no one is willing to help me. No one's willing to give me a chance let me just let me just say real fast that if you want it you've got to get up and get it if you desire these things you got to say I I desire it and I want it and I'm going to put forth the effort to receive it I don't have the ability on my own so no one's willing to help I hope we never say that I've got the ability. Jesus, he gives this man a very clear response. He understands that for a man to recover, he must deal with the needs that are in front of him. Notice this man, though, he was standing in front of Jesus, and he's talking about the water. He was standing in front of Jesus, but he was concerned with the water. And let me just talk to us real fast. Sometimes we get caught up, as we talked about a little bit on night one, we get caught up in all the things that help make uh, um, uh, a church exciting and all the things that help help make it easy and, and all these things. This man is talking to the healer but he's talking how he can't get to the water. This man is talking about how he can't get healed because he's not there but Jesus is saying do you want to get well? This man didn't need the water. He didn't need a choir. He didn't need the drums and he didn't need the music and he didn't need all this stuff that we have. He just needed Jesus. He just needed the hand of God. He just needed to know that he's there and he can speak the word and he can be healed. He didn't need anything else. It's all started before we had any of these things. He just needed Jesus. He just needed Jesus. And so, so sometimes we make it about other things. And, and he just needed Jesus. He, he didn't need someone to carry him or everyone to wait on him to get to the water. He just needed Jesus. So we make this, this, this idea of, of something bigger. But he just needed, needed Jesus. So Jesus boldly speaks to this man and says this statement. And we're going to look at these together. Rise. Everybody say rise. So why would he say rise? He says rise because he wants him to do what he's not able to do right off the bat. He wants to, he wants to deal with it right thing. Jesus looked at what he could not do and he's meeting him at where he is. And he wants to deal with that right off the bat because if someone's not willing to try, if you're not willing to have faith, just, just, just get up. You don't understand. I can't know. Just, just do your best right now. Get up. There's, there's just a point 
in a place where you have to decide today, I'm changing. I'm changing my life. I've got all these addictions. Well, stop going to that place. Well, you don't understand. No, number one is stop going to that place. But I have all these things I like to do. Well, then the thing you got to understand is stop doing what calls you to do the things you like to do that you know are wrong. So stop. Just get up. Get up. And so that's the first thing Jesus says. He did this with the man that was in the temple who had the withered hand. And Jesus challenged him to stretch forth his hand. And this moment right here where this man had decisions to make in his life, what do I stretch forth? And he stretched forth the hand that was withered. And in that moment, because he did the right thing, and he met Jesus where he was, he was able to behold that day, that bold moment where this paralyzed man became free of this paralyzed thing in his life. How is this possible? Because when you and I will trust God, when we when we begin to trust God for what God has willed in us, all the energies of God become available to us. All the promises of God become available to us. All of these things are ours. And we trust the word of God. And so the next thing we want to talk about here is he says, of course, rise. Everybody say, take up your bed. Now here's what was happening. Here's what was going on. This man, they had places. You know, you've seen when I was in Indianapolis, I remember walking under the bridge and you saw these, these, these places, these beds. Y'all remember these guys were all set up under there, and, and it, it broke my heart, but these guys are set there, and they're, they're in these, these, these beds, so to speak, the things they had. It was everything they had. It was no different in this setting. They had their, their, their belongings in this little probably four-by-four four little area where they, that was everything they had. That was what they were comfortable with. It's the things they possessed. And so Jesus simply said, rise, get up. If you can get up, now at this point, take up your bed. Why would he say that? Why wouldn't he say just go as fast as you can? The reason why is because he did not want to enable him to come back to where he was that got him in that state of mind. He didn't want to let him get back to that place. He didn't want to let him come back to that. Sometimes you've got to get up and be kind of like the, the four that laid in the man that was on the stretcher and, and Jesus was there and they couldn't fit their way in. The Bible says they took off the roof and then they broke it up. In other words, whatever kept us from going in the first time, we're breaking it to pieces because we don't ever, ever want it keeping us out again. Jesus said, get up from where you are and once you're up, take everything you have and take those things up. Move away from this place because this has allowed you and enabled you to stay in this place all this time and you've got to make a change. Are you with me tonight? Is this all right? I know we're tired, but just give me a few more minutes, all right? I, I'm, I'm telling you, there's a point in your life you've got to say, what is it? And, 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 and we deal with this. We deal with this often, even in our church. And, and people come in and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm, I'm still dealing with this. And I'm thinking, you're dealing with it because you keep going back to it. You're dealing with it because you're there. And I'm going to talk to these young people just for a moment because I know this is a, this is, I know you're going to be very upset at me, about me, or very upset at me for saying this, but be careful. I know it's a, we've got some, some kids in our youth group and we've got a guy that we've kind of started talking to. And once you get to a certain point, now you guys will be mad at me. I'm talking to the parents for a moment. Once you get to a certain point on these video games and it's got a certain rating, that means everything's good to go. You understand that? 
Once you get to a certain point on ratings, there's a rating that is, is MA or something. But once you get to that point, that means pornography is okay. Language is okay. All these things are okay. And let me just say something to you, to you young people. It's, it's, it's one thing to come in and say, God, I, I give you everything I am. But it's another thing to say, God, I give you everything I am. But then subscribe fully to this idea that this whole world that's sucking you into it is okay. And I, I'm, I know I'm sensing discomfort here, but I want to talk about it because there's a point where you've got to say, God, I want you, but he's going to say rise, and so you're, right, you're risen up. He's going to say, okay, if you want to follow me and you want a change in your life, then take up your bed. That might mean I've got to get rid of the Xbox. That might mean I've got to quit signing on to the, to, the, to the thing on the web or whatever. That might mean I've got to step away from whatever made me comfortable, whatever made my flesh comfortable, whatever made everything okay. Pastor, I can't stop doing this. The reason why is because you don't Stop doing these things. You might have to give it up and say, I'm giving myself to him. Is that all right? Now, I know the girls, they struggle a little bit differently. And I'm, I, I love you guys. I'm not wanting to leave with you all mad at me. But I'm telling you this. We got girls in our church that want to feel valued and want to be loved. But yet they, got, they get all these magazines where the magazines just make them feel less valued and less loved. And they, they, they hang out with these guys that see them as nothing. And they deal with these things. And so they come and they say, I want to feel valued. Well, the reason why you don't feel valued is because you stay where you are. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed. And there's one more thing he says. Just simply walk. Here's what he told him. Adam, come here real fast. Come here real quick. Here's what he told him. Tonight's about outreach and how do we, how do we reach out and how do we do this. I know, Matt, you, we've, we've talked about you doing a P7 club and there's other P7s here. And I applaud you. This, is, this whole P7 thing is amazing. I'm thanking God for it. But how do we, how do, we do this? How do we, how do we reach our, our world and how, how do we love people and, and encourage them to come? It's not that we have to go stand on the, on the table and, 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 and carry the family Bible and say, Everybody listen to me, turn or burn or whatever. You know, we, it's kind of a, the joke of the week. I keep on bringing up whatever the case. We don't, let me just say this. We don't have to have a boot camp. Soul winning was never boot camps. It was a personal type thing. Let me just make sure we understand that real fast. That whole thing always made me sick. But um, anyways, did I say that out loud in the microphone? Uh, they never really. Going at midnight and dunking someone when they're drunk and what, them wondering why they got so wet the next day was never the way that it was supposed to be. No one's Facebook live in this thing, right? Please. Make sure y'all understand that real fast. The way to win somebody is the way you are winning people. I've already, I, 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 we've, I've, we've heard testimonies. It's to love somebody and be there for somebody. And the way that you do that is to simply be there in their moments of need and to encourage them. And most importantly, live this life in front of them. Not give them a fruit snack and a bicycle and post about it. But... I don't know what in the world. I'm just, I, I guess we're talking about outreach, and I'm talking about what's not outreach. Am I doing that? Lord, y'all never see me again after those statements maybe. But, but anyways, here's, here's, the, here's what he was told to do. After he got up, after he pushed back his bed and got rid of all these things, here's, here's what he was asked to do. Just walk. What does that mean? That means live your life, and everyone that sees you is going to see there's a change that's happened in him. Everyone that sees you is going to see that that person used to be this. Adam, you're so unsure, but he's like, dude, I can't believe this guy's got me in front of all these people. Everyone, let me just say, this guy sang a solo. You're nervous out of your mind, aren't you? (laughs) Give Adam a great big hand. Man, he was shaking. (laughs) 
Here's what it simply means is when you walk into your school, you don't have to say, hey, everybody, I'm apostolic. No, it means that when you walk into your school, you walk in with the light of God and they're going to notice you. And they're going to say there's something on them. There's something there. Jesus spoke to this man and he said, I know you're dealing with these things, but here's the deal. Do you want to get well? Well, if you want to get well, then get up from where you are. Get rid of all the stuff that enables you to come back to this place. And then I want you just to walk. And everywhere you go, people are going to see that he's walking, but he's not walked in so long. He's living life a different way now, but he's not lived that way in so long. So when they see that, they're going to say, there must be a God that can do this for me. There must be a God that can change my life. So this is exactly what's happened. Musicians, you can come, but here's what's happened with James. And I, I guess my mind's just on James, but James comes, to, comes from uh, um, Souls Harbor, where, where, where we got him in this, this, this place to be restored and, and helped. And so we'd pick him up, and he'd come. And so soon we had to get a van that was big enough to bring some more people because he was coming, and he was talking differently than all the other guys all of a sudden. His life was changing. He's getting straightened up. And so we started bringing another guy, and then we started bringing another guy. We ended up baptizing 14 guys out of the Souls Harbor. We'd fill up two whole rows with these guys that were rough and gruff, and all these guys were coming in. Why were they coming in? Not because we were going in and screaming at them and yelling at them and saying, get up, come on. It's because they noticed that James did not have the things that he was desiring in his life anymore. And James wasn't going in preaching to him either. He was just going in and walking. He was just going to work and walking. He was just going to lunch with all the guys and walking. He was going to bed and walking. He was just living his life and walking. He was just living his life by example. Just walking. Walking, just, just, just doing what he could. Sometimes the key to this whole thing is just walking. Tonight, when you go to the restaurant, you just gotta walk. Tomorrow, when you get up and go to school, you just gotta walk. When tough times come, just walk. Just let someone see that I've got something in me that's that's greater my grandfather was in Oklahoma, my great grandfather John Brooks was his name he was in Oklahoma and my grandmother was one of his three daughters and she remembers the day he came in and told my great grandmother that we're moving and she said where and he said to, to Arkansas and that's probably one of the things that a wife doesn't want to hear, but she heard it. <laughs> I say that because she was not happy. My little great-grandmother said, why in the world are we doing this? My grandfather said, I, my great-grandfather said, I was praying, and I felt God tell me we, we need to go. To, to, at the time, he said, northwest Arkansas, which is where I'm at. She said, where are we going? He said, I don't know how to tell you that. I just know we're going to drive, and we're going to go to where there's a man this is, this is what happened. True story. When we get there, we'll know it by there will be a fork in the road and there will be a man with an axe. Baby, why don't you sit down? <laughs> or he was probably saying, baby, put down the axe. <laughs> she said, okay. They were both praying, God, use us. They packed up my grandmother, her two sisters, and they hopped in the car and they drove, which at that time would have been a long, long drive. I believe this was, I believe this would have been in the 30s or so. I, I believe if I'm right on that, I, I think I am. They drove 
from uh, a little west of Tulsa through northwest Arkansas and came into the mountains in, in Winslow, which is about 45 minutes south of where I am. Really beautiful area. And they drove down those back roads through those hills. And then when they came around a the corner, there was a fork in the road. And there was a man with an axe on his shoulder. My great-grandmother was probably like, great. <laughs> they didn't know what else to do, so they stopped the car. And this man, it's a burly man, stands here and looks at him. My, my, my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather, John W. Rooks, said, sir, uh, can I bother you for a second? And the man looked back, and they said it was, the story goes that it was, you know, he wasn't the most pleasant man at first. You know, a man walking through the woods with an axe on his shoulder. Seems like a bad, things could happen. He said, what do you need? And he said, I, I don't know how else to say this. I've been praying. I felt God asking me to come to Northwest Arkansas. He said, well, who, who are you? And he said, all I can tell you is I'm a, I'm a Jesus name preacher. And I just, I, I, and the guy with that dropped the axe on the ground, fell to his knees. And he said, I don't know how to tell you this. For the last six months, we found something in the Word of God. We found something, and we've been praying that God would send us a man. He said, if you'll follow me, we have about 30 people that have been meeting in a barn. And we're needing someone to baptize us in Jesus' name. That's where the, yeah, that's, that's where the, Sister Sorrow is much like, much like what you testified about tonight and the other night, but with that, with that, one of the first churches in Northwest Arkansas was started. And what's amazing about it is when we went, I didn't know some of this until I, until about four years ago, five years ago, when we went to Northwest Arkansas, I had a friend pastoring the church in Winslow, and I was pastoring at the time in Springdale, which was just the neighboring town from where I am. Now we're in Lowell. But he needed help, and I needed help. So I said, and he had a two o'clock service. So I said, why don't I come there? after our service and you come to ours for our service and we'll help each other he was the great grandson of the man with the axe and I'm the great grandson of the man from Oklahoma let me tell you what was happening in the moment what was happening in that moment God had gotten a hold of John W. Rook's life and delivered him from alcohol and everything else and God began to do something in his life and I, the stories that I hear were that he was not a man that was well liked and well loved but when he began to walk and was the new man he was. People said, what in the world got a hold of him? And they were attracted to his walk because it was not the same thing. They knew God had, been, God had gotten a hold of him. Let me just tell you this real fast. And I know this is youth week. I know we're coming to a close. But all I can say is this. The best way for us to have revival is for us not to hide our walk, not to hold our heads down, but to walk out and say, God, you've helped me and you've made a way and you definitely changed my life and I want the world to know what you've done for me, God. I just felt this during the service and I'm hoping this is okay and I'm not trying to conjure up somebody, but I'm, I'm wondering if there'd be some some elders in the church and, and I know this is asking a lot but if you'd be willing to come and I'm, when I say elders I don't really even mean elders I wish there'd be some parents or there'd be some grandparents you'd be willing to come and I want you to come kind of stand this to, with your back to the platform and face the crowd if you can is that alright? I know I'm asking don't be too scared now I'm not going to have you like anything crazy would there be anybody that would come? I need about I don't know I need about 15 or so yeah come on that'd be great thank you thank you thank you come on up thank you 
I just feel like it'd be okay to close things out in this way. Just kind of stand here and face, face the crowd, if you will. Let me tell you this. Young people, you ought to honor, honor these people. Honor these people. Come on up here if y'all can. Thank you so much. If you, if you are able to, come on up. We can come. We can slide. How about everybody slide over this way if you don't mind. We got some more coming. Thank you so much. You better not. He's going he's to don't get too far away. I appreciate I appreciate the elders of the church. Here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking. I felt like we started this way, and I felt like it'd be great to end this way. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask these young people. I want you to come, and I want you to allow one of these great, great people. If your family's up here, I think it'd be great for you to come and, and ask them to pray. But then I think it's also good for you to kind of move about. I'm going to ask for these young people to come, and I want you to come to one of these great people. It doesn't have to be a man. If you're a guy, it can be a lady, whatever the case may be. But I wish you would come and let them lay their hands on you and pray for you, however they feel necessary, however they feel they need to do. But I wish you would let them come and pray a prayer of covering over you. And then when you leave this place, you can just walk and live this truth and love people and carry on this gospel. Is that all right? Amen. I wish you'd come right now. Can, can these young people come? If there's other young people here, I wish you'd leave your seat and come on down. There might be some others that want to join us. You can come on down and help us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, young people.